Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The following is a presentation of the Belly Up Sports Media Network. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to episode 223 of the Pesky Report. I'm Brandon, and joining me tonight, we have a newer face that's one of the regulars of the Pesky Report, and that's Mr. Jake T. O'Donnell. You may know him from Twitter and Instagram. Uh, he's He's been quite popular lately in the uh, Twitter sphere, and we're so happy to have him on board. Jake, what's up, my man? Hey, Brandon. Oh, man, it's awesome to to talk to you tonight and to be on tonight. And I'm, I'm uh, so thankful to be sort of, I guess, an official member of the pesky report family. Now um, you guys have welcomed me with open arms. Um, I'm so excited to, to work with you guys going forward. And this is, yeah, this is my first uh, official, uh, you know, podcast, I guess, as a, as a co-host. So um, I'm super psyched for, for everything we have in store going forward. Yeah, he was he was a guest on the show last month, and now he's uh, been promoted to the rank of po- uh, co-host. So, yeah. definitely stoked to have Jacob board. And also joining us tonight from uh, New Jersey area, we have Mister Not Gaetti, uh, who is coming on here to talk to us about a, a unique fandom that he has. And uh, do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Sure thing. Hey guys. Hey Brandon, Jake. Thank you for inviting me on. Uh, I look. I love talking ball with everybody, including Red Sox fans. Um, <laughs> so I'm excited to be here. I think we're going to have fun. Um, so the unique fandom that you alluded to is that I love both the Yankees and the Mets. Some folks say it can't be done. Um, obviously, there's an intense rivalry between the, the two current New York teams. Um, that pretty much goes the whole way back ALNL. And I mean, you know, people are usually come down on one side or the other, but when I was growing up, uh, my family always pulled for all the, all of the New York teams. We liked the giants. We liked the jets. We liked the Yanks. We liked the Mets. Um, you know, I, I got my love of baseball really from my parents. Um, they, they were into the game growing up. They're both originally from New York city. Um, 
they were at Game 7 of the 1986 World Series to, to see the, the Mets win it. And then, you know, I mostly grew up during the Yankee Dynasty era where it, mm-hmm. it was great to be on that bandwagon and, uh, you know, couldn't stop the World Series rings from rolling in for a while there. Um, and, you know, I've just pulled for both teams ever since. I think they have such different kind of characters and uh, like the way you, the way people conceive of these teams is very different, right? The, the Yanks are like the big, bad, evil empire, you know, so detractors and fans alike, I think, look at them as, you know, there's recognition. It's the winningest franchise in sports history. They do a lot of great things. The uniform doesn't change, right? It's classic. They don't have to mess with anything. The Yanks are, are solid. They're always going to be there. And the Mets always have this great underdog vibe. And I, I really like that. I think it's, uh, I sort of, I get different things out of pulling for both teams, but I love the players. You know, I love the, uh, I complain about the leadership a lot, but that's how all fans are with their teams. And, you know, at the end of the day, it's a game. It's fun. It's, uh, it's about the players. It's about the stories. And I just, I really enjoy kind of watching both teams, pulling for both teams. And uh, it's, it's a lot of fun. And so anybody who says you can't be a fan of both the Yankees and the Mets, I, my whole family will be happy to prove you wrong. I think Brandon might have frozen there. Proved so that wrong. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's it. You froze there for a second, Brandon. Am, am I back? Yeah. You're sorry. Back. Yeah. Um, I think you're back. Yeah. Yeah. That, that Florida internet who, you know, <laughs> it's only as good as, as what you can add. Uh, so uh, you, you said something in, in there that, that I thought was kind of funny. Is, is you talked about growing up during the, uh, the Yankee dynasty of the nineties and all that stuff. And it dawned on me that modern Patriots fans are kind of spoiled in that same way because we've seen several championships and now we're kind of at a downward point where the team's not performing that great. And, and a a lot of um, ill feelings are coming out because of it. Uh, And it, it kind of made me made my skin crawl a little bit to make myself realize that we're very similar to Yankees fans in that way. But uh, I do, I do want to ask, you know, Yes. Since since we are talking to you and you you have experience and, and follow both New York teams, I do want to ask you because both the Yankees and the Mets had pretty interesting off seasons this year. Of course, the the Yankees big acquisition or not really acquisition, but big transaction was the the re-signing of Aaron Judge and the naming him captain and all that stuff. So uh, walk us through your feelings on that. And then also I want to know your feelings about the, uh, the Carlos Correa situation in New York. Sure. Well, you know, I, uh, I went on a Yankees podcast late last year at the beginning of the off season and was asked for some different predictions. And I had several that came true. I predicted that they would resign Aaron judge, that they would name him captain I also predicted that Hicks and Donaldson would be in the opening day lineup as much as I hated to admit that. And I think this is all going to come to pass. Um, Aaron judge is an incredible player. He's a good guy. He's a good teammate. I think he does all the right things. I think he 
you know, has a good relationship with the players, with the leadership, with the media. Like he's a guy that you're happy to be sort of the face of the franchise and the face of the sport. And everybody knew he was going to get paid. Um, so, you know what? Good for him. I mean, he had an incredible season last year, 62 home runs. He was like three points away from winning a triple crown. Um, he's like a generational player. You see a guy who's six foot seven, 280, playing center field, making diving catches, you know, breaking home run records. So the fact that they locked him up, I think, is really important for the franchise, for, for baseball. I mean, it would feel really weird to see him in another uniform, I feel like. Um, so love him or hate him, it's like it fits. And I think it's a nice thing. Of course, I'm biased as, as a Yankee fan. Um, I do wish they had made some upgrades. You know, Donaldson, he, he put up some really sort of non-competitive at-bats, a lot of three-pitch strikeouts. Um, he was okay defensively. That's, you know, I think that's fading slower than the bat. But he's also very expensive, so which, that makes him hard to trade. And, uh, you know, what are you going to do? You have a veteran guy making $25 million. You're not going to bench him for Oswaldo Cabrera or whatever. Um, and so I, the problem is that the lineup doesn't have as much depth as I wish they did. Even if you have Donaldson playing every day, in fact, he's probably hitting like fifth, sixth. And really I'd like to see him maybe in like the eighth spot or something, but, um, you know, you can't go out and get that many big bats when you're spending on Aaron Judge. So there's certainly trade-offs to all these moves that get made. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. I hope Judge has a great year. I hope he hits another 60 bombs. That'd be fun. Yeah, and it's very possible, especially if he's able to stay healthy. You mentioned uh, that it, it would be kind of weird to see him in another uniform. And for a brief about 20 minute period over this off season, we thought that we were going to see him in another uniform. Of course, um, the, the arson judge tweet came out and everybody was like, it's happening. He's going to San Francisco. He's not going to be in New York. And then, you know, that was obviously not the case that, that transpired. What was the, uh, the thoughts around the Yankees Twitter, the Yankees uh, fan base, whenever that tweet broke from John Heyman? Oh, it was crazy. And even before that, I don't know if you guys saw the clip of him like walking through the airport in San Francisco and mm, they're yeah. asking him like, Hey, what are you doing? And he's like, Oh, I'm just here to visit family. And right. I'm like, Oh my God, what if he's not <laughs> just there to visit family? <laughs> and so I, listen, I, I thought judge to San Francisco was a real possibility. And then when it didn't get announced within like a day or two, I was like, there's no way, there's no way. He's absolutely going to be a Yankee. I didn't see him going anywhere else. Yeah. yeah. We, we had, we heard the rumors that he was uh, being flown around to San Diego and places like that as well. So it was definitely a real possibility that he was going to leave, but uh, I, I do kind of agree with you as, as much as I didn't want to have to see him 13 times a year this season it does seem like he fits as a New York Yankee. Yeah. Character wise, you know, like in terms of his performance on the field, the way he carries himself, I think he's great. He's certainly one of my favorite active players. 
Yeah. So you, you bring up, you know, an interesting thing about judge. And I think that my recollection at the time, obviously was that it seemed like it was between the giants and the Yankees for him. And then we find out later that I think technically the Padres offered the most money, um, which is what they did with everybody this off season. And they ended up signing one of the guys that they offered the most money to. It was somebody that played for the Red Sox for a long time. I don't know if you've heard of him. Um, but the the judge thing is interesting to me because I saw at the time that there was reporting, I think it was from Buster only, talking about how there was real tension in the Yankees front office about what to do about judge. And should they give him this money? Because, um, again, because you're talking about a, a contract for a guy that is going to take him into his forties or right around the age of 40, right? Uh, nine years, he's 30, 31, 32 now. So, um, and the fact that it's, it's certainly like most of these contracts that get handed out, you're paying, uh, the full freight for all those years down the line so that you can get the sort of good years up front. And with judge, you have a guy that has a really extensive injury history, and has broken down a lot in his career. Some of it has been sort of freak stuff, I think, but some of it has been stuff. He's broken down. Um, obviously, last year he was healthy the entire year, and we saw what what he could do. Uh, but he is older. He was older than most of the a lot of those other free agents that had that signed uh, this off season, and he got like you know the the highest amount, pretty much the most money. Uh, other than I think Turner got more money, right? Might um, no. No, Judge got more. Judge got the most money. That's right. So you're right. Um, so I think the question I'm 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 coming to with this is, what do you believe that that there was like a, a like fissure in the Yankees front office about what to do with with Judge? I absolutely believe that there was tension over that. I think, you know, teams have seen a lot of long term expensive deals go the wrong way, right? I mean, Pujols was a legend in St. Louis, maybe the best offensive decade we ever saw. And then he got 10 years, $240 million to go to Anaheim. And, you know, he was, he was good. By anybody's, like, a regular person's standards, he was productive. But by Pujols' standards, he woefully underperformed. Good, no. And, you know, things that I think are reasonable to be wary of are outfielders on the wrong side of 30, guys that are six, seven, two eighty. Like imagine every time he slides into a base, that's a large body colliding with the earth. And, you know, I've heard Jose Canseco talk about how he stole a lot of bases earlier in his career. One of the reasons he stopped doing that is, you know, he was six, four, two forty-five, and you hit the dirt over and over and over and over. You're going to get hurt. You're going to wear out. And so, you know, there's some aspect of like, having to pace yourself right in terms of like stolen base attempts, base running, diving catches at some point, you're going to be 36 years old or whatever, making this kind of money. And that it's going to be in the team's interest to keep your bat in the lineup. And they got to find a way to keep you healthy and keep you from wearing out. But, you know, a lot of times these larger guys don't have super long careers and, you know, offering nine years, nine year deal to a guy that's 30, 31, always, always inherently risky. When you look at how few players really are productive at 38, 39 years old, right? You can count on one finger, the guys that, sorry, on one hand, the guys that will have like a useful, productive 
season, right, and be an asset to their team at that age. So totally, I'm not surprised that there was some tension in the front office. I think, you know, it would have been equally smart to do, you know, a shorter deal with a higher annual average salary. And, uh, you know, but decisions had to be made. I think if you wanted to retain the player, he required the ninth year. Yeah. And I think that what happened, my sense of that is, again, there was a there was a market. You know, the the reason why the Yankees had to go to that level, which I think was a level that probably the front office ultimately probably wasn't comfortable with, was because there was a, a market of, of at least two other teams in his home state that were willing to go that that high and that far. Um, and you have to you have to react to the market. One of the issues that's happened with Red with the Red Sox and and some of the perception of, about them, I don't. It, and it, there is truth to it too, which is that the Red Sox most a lot of the time are not comfortable with um, going to the crazy lengths that it often takes to sign free agents, including guys that are their own players. This is exactly what happened with Bogarts, um, and they they you know, back, backed away um, and never got anywhere close to what he ended up getting from the Padres. Um, I think that the Yankees made, uh, made the calculated decision as a, as a franchise that they, they couldn't afford to let him, let him go. Um, But on, on the, the judge point, I wanted to ask about the reliance on his production in the lineup because of the fact that he's obviously coming off a, off a historic season and, I think that Judge last season had like a top a top five all time offensive performance. If you factor everything in, the 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 pitches that he has to face, the guys throwing a hundred miles an hour with movement, guys coming in late in the games, like Babe Ruth and Roger Maris never had to face guys like that. Even Barry Bonds never had to face guys like that. The, what Aaron Judge did last year was superhuman, and as a Red Sox fan, it's. And I, I, I think Aaron Judge is, is a tremendous human being and somebody that I it, I kind of hate that, that I like somebody so much who's on the Yankees. But um, what I want to ask you is about the reliance on him. And you, you alluded to this with the issues with Josh Donaldson being in the lineup and being a drag on the lineup and Aaron Hicks being in the lineup and possibly being a drag on the lineup. And I, I don't really realistically think that Isaiah Kiner-Falefa is going to play as much this year, especially because of the other options at shortstop. But do you get like, do you think that Aaron judge could like revert to the mean a little bit and the Yankees lineup would still be fine? Or are they going to be relying on him to have this like 60 ish Homer season again for the lineup to be successful this year? That's a great question. And I think that because they sacrificed making some other big splashes to resign him for mega dollars instead we're really going to need him to produce kind of like he did last year because right. The the biggest move of the off season was to keep the team the same as it was not to get better. And and add Rodon, right? Like that was it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, Offensively, you know, there's no new big bats. Uh, Meanwhile, you know, Houston got better, right? They got Jose Abreu, one of the all time consistent run producers. And, you know, Houston was already good. They got better. And so, um, yeah, like Donaldson has no business being a 
five-hole hitter in his age 37 season after he hit 220 or whatever last year. But it looks like that's what's going to happen. Um, I think DJ LeMahieu is a big uh, question mark. I mean, he's playing regularly in spring training now. He's I love him. He's a two-time batting champion. He won a batting title in each league. He plays three infield positions all pretty well. I love those versatile guys that, you know, bring three gloves to the park and they're just ready to be in the lineup and have a good at bat. He hits the ball the other way. He uses the whole field. Um, I think he's a great hitter. He's got a great eye, but you know, he had foot issues and those, I mean, like we saw with Pujols and Anaheim, right? You're, you're on your feet all the time in this game. So if, if that goes wrong again, you wind up being out of the lineup. Um, So I really don't know. I think you need a full healthy year from DJ LeMahieu and you know, he's not batting title DJ LeMahieu anymore, but I think he's a good hitter. He puts up good at bats. If he does play almost every day, I think his time will still be split between a bunch of positions. I don't see him getting an everyday starting job at one specific spot. Um, but you know, they got some like young kids that are really good. I'm, I'm a huge fan of Oswaldo Cabrera talk about versatility. You know, he hadn't played the outfield hardly at all in the minor leagues. And then they stuck him in right field as soon as he was promoted. And within two weeks, he was like third in the AL and defensive run saved among outfielders at a position he'd never played before. And he played some first, some second, some shortstops some third, some left, um, He's Talk one of about these... bringing gloves to the park. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, you know, I would like to see him get regular at-bats. I think he's probably one of the guys whose playing time will get compromised the most by everyday Donaldson. And so, you know, we'll have to see what happens. I, it's just if Judge doesn't hit, you're really going to need a lot of other people to improve. Like you're going to need a more consistent – Stanton better at bats from Stanton Uh, like we all know Stanton had an MVP year right he had 59 home runs his last year with the Marlins and you know he's had productive years with the Yankees but he hasn't approached that level and Rizzo is a good player they they re-signed Rizzo I think um, you know he and Judge are are close they enjoy being teammates I think um, keeping one helps them keep the other but, you know, he's a guy, he's had a good eye, he has power, he's a great defensive first baseman. I think he's, you should, first baseman should study Anthony Rizzo. He's, he's quite good out there. And, uh, yeah, you're just going to need other people to pick up the slack if Judge doesn't have a 60 homer year. Because God knows, there was, you know, two months over the summer that the team was slumping and Judge just put the team on his shoulders and had the year that he had. But you certainly can't count on that. Yeah, the, and just the, the one point I wanted to make, and I'll, I'll let you go, Brandon, but like the Oswaldo Cabrera to me as a Red Sox fan strikes me is he's like going to be this like next generation of like these really annoying like Ricky Lede type guys who just like come out of nowhere and they just like are just like come up with huge hits and make huge plays and you're just so annoyed like this guy's just not even that good like what is he doing but he is he is actually like really good and i i see him being that that type of guy going forward and you you know he probably will end up with the pedigree of being a red Sox killer 
you know, we we as Red Sox fans, we pride ourselves on those guys in our lineup that's like, yep, he he always hits the Yankees. Rafael Devers is is a prime example of that, especially when it comes to Garrett Cole. But there's another young player that's on the the Yankees, his uh, the top prospect for the New York Yankees, and I'm pretty sure Yankees Twitter has already lobbied to have his number retired, and that's uh, Anthony Volpe. What do you think about this kid coming up? So I actually live eight minutes from Double A Somerset, and I got to see Volpe play over the summer up close. The game I went to, I think he struck out three times, but <laughs> I mean, it looks like an athlete. I mean, he does he does a lot of things right. I think he's got a very bright future. Um, I remember going to the ballpark and they had the players like season stats posted, and he was in the lead in like home runs and stolen bases by far. He had like twice as many as the next guy on both lists. And anytime you have a guy who can hit for power and who can swipe bags, that's dangerous. Um, I don't think we get to see that much these days um, with the stolen base kind of being out of vogue. Um, You know, as, as analytics has crept more and more into the decision-making Stolen bases essentially get viewed at as like a low percentage play where they tell guys, you know, you're not going to run except for the guys who have like an 85% success rate. Otherwise you're making it less likely for the team to score runs. So only a handful of guys are even going to get the green light to go. So, you know, it, it just, uh, I, I kind of miss small ball and stolen bases and things like that, but, we know that the guy has the tools. And so if, you know, with the bigger bases, the pickoff limits, the shift band, all these different things coming in, maybe you'll see stolen bases come back into style. Um, so that's something I'm interested to, to see, you know, starting with this season. Enough rules are a little bit different and favor offense and favor stolen base attempts that we might see a, a more fun brand of baseball. I can't say I agree with all the rule changes. I think, uh, you know, you've seen some of these pitch clock catastrophes with called strike threes and, you know. So, so can, I, can I push back on that for a second? So, I, so Brandon knows this. I just, this morning, uh, I got off a plane coming back from Arizona. I was out there on vacation for the last week. And I went to, I went to six games while I was out there. Three of them were the Cactus League games. The other three were games that didn't have were WBC related and they didn't have the pitch clock. I would say that I saw an average of one pitch clock violation per game of the three Cactus League games that I was out there. I think that these guys are, um, they're professionals. This is their job. Their job has new rules. And I think that they have adapted more quickly to the new rules than I would have even expected. Now it's going to be interesting to see when these guys come back, some of the top guys come back from the world baseball classic and see if it maybe takes them a little bit more to kind of ingratiate themselves back into the new rules again, after they were like, they had it for like a week or a week and a half and then they lost it. And now they have to go back again. But um, I think that the, it was seamless while I was out there, like the pitch clock and, and, and it sounds like you, Nakaeda, you go to a lot of minor league games too, I assume. And I, I feel like these guys are, they're going to figure it out. I think like where things get tricky, I think, is I think some guys might have issues with some of the disengagement rules, that's which is like less related to the pitch clock and more just about like 
you know, how many times can I step, what counts as a step off the mound? No, I was, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't stepping off or like this is, or what's a balk or what's not. That's the stuff that's a little confusing to me, but as far as like the pitcher's got a, has this set amount of time, the hitter has this amount of time, the catcher has to be in the box at this time. I think these guys have already kind of figured that out, but. Um, yeah, it's uh, all it's all ultimately like learning curve kind of stuff, and I expect the adjustment to be pretty quick. Um, you know, I'm interested to see what kind of impact the pitch clock has on things like pitcher health and like pitch counts and innings that guys go. Um, you know, it's like maybe you don't see as many guys throwing max max effort when you have to throw a pitch every 20 seconds. And maybe that improves elbow health. Maybe that improves innings pitched over the course of the full season. Um, I always like guys that throw a lot of innings that make, you know, their 33 starts a year, the, the workhorse types. Because, I mean, look, yeah. take a guy like Jacob deGrom. When he's on, he is unhittable. He is one of the filthiest pitchers that the game's ever seen on a rate basis. But the guy's got 80 wins or something in his career. He makes like 19 starts. And, you know, like that's not what a starting pitcher is to me. You know, you guys remember watching Roger Clemens and, you know, these, these great pitchers that just they, they put in the, the volume of work. It wasn't just about the rate stats. It was about like guys used to go on the mound with the intention of finishing the game. Whether they were allowed to or not is a different question, but you know, Degrom is an interesting case for me. Yeah, that, that's actually a good question of, on Degrom because it seems like, um, and it's we're the kind of switching gears to the Mets like for a second, but I, I am a, interested in your take on the sort of end of that marriage there, where it felt to me like, um, the Mets were just like okay with him leaving um and going to texas they didn't put up too much of an effort to keep him um and that based off some health issues there's I, there's been rumors that he was like purposely like you know staying off the gas pedal the last few years because he knew that he had this this free agency option this year what's your what's your take on on how how that the end of the what was on, honestly a very long and fruitful marriage between the Mets and DeGrom, how that, that marriage ended. looks like we lost Brandon here for a second, but yeah, go, go ahead. So I was a big fan of DeGrom. I, he had some really, really dominant outings, some really dominant seasons. I mean, the guy put up like an ERA in the ones or something, right? It's just unheard of. He'd throw a, a hundred miles an hour and made it look easy. Um, but in terms of like, the way things ended, obviously we know he has a pretty extensive injury history and the team made a calculated risk of like, based on the dollars that it was going to take to keep him, what are the chances we get the volume of performance? And, you know, I honestly, I'm on the team side there. I don't think there's any way you know, like you might throw more innings for the Rangers this year than DeGrom. You might. Yeah. I don't know. It's, he, it's, he's, I haven't never... pitched since eighth grade, so we'll see. I don't know, but yeah. right. Well, we're going to keep you on a pitch count. <laughs> no, so thanks. don't worry about it. You'll get there. Um, but I, by the end, I don't think he wanted to be here. 
and I think there was widespread recognition among ownership and ultimately among fans too that he was not going to be worth the money that he was commanding. Now, look, maybe he'll prove us wrong. Maybe he'll go out and throw 200 innings with a one and a half ERA, and you know, uh, I'll have been wrong. But he also might go out there and throw 67 innings with a 3.8 ERA, and he's going to make you know 38 million dollars or whatever. So the the other thing that kind of put a bad taste in my mouth was his press conference with Texas. And they were like, so what made you want to come here? He's like, well, this team really wants to win the world series. And let me tell you something about New York baseball. We want to win the world series every year. Both teams want to win the world series. The Texas Rangers are, are not going to inspire somebody with their desire to win the world series. They inspired him with massive dollars knowing that he's probably going to pitch double-digit innings. So, sounds like you're either a little bit bitter about it or it's very logical when it comes to growth. But I, I do want to to pick your brain a little bit about pitcher injuries. And you did say something very interesting about um, maybe we'll see less elbow injuries because guys aren't sitting there building up the energy and throwing max below every single pitch. The Yankees have had quite a bit of injury plaguing them on their uh, pitching staff this this offseason. Um, and a notable center fielder that's been injured. And I, I want to kind of pick your brain about the Harrison Bader-Jordan Montgomery trade at the trade deadline last year. And, of course, hindsight 2020. But how vital would it be to have somebody like a Jordan Montgomery still on the staff? He was always very solid. Um, I never viewed him as like a top tier guy. He was, I mean, he's a depth guy. And I think the trade-off is Bader gives you a guy who can run and he gives you tremendous defense. And that's something that the Yankees have never really been built around is outfield defense. And I think having that is like a new tool in the toolkit that the team hasn't had in a while. So on balance, you know, Montgomery is a, is a mid-depth starter who can maybe keep you in the game once every five days. Bader is a guy who can impact a game with a great defensive play, a great, you know, base running play, and be there pretty much every day if you need him. So I, I was in favor of the trade personally. If he's healthy. If he's healthy, yeah. I mean, he was hurt at the time they traded for him, right? He came over and didn't play right away. Interesting. I, I have a good friend. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I have a good friend that's a Cardinals fan, and whenever, whenever they traded Harrison Bader away, he was at first a little bit distraught. He wasn't happy with, with giving up Harrison Bader, but – after seeing the the end of 2022 where he was hurt the majority of the time and Montgomery came in and was very good for the Cardinals, he started thinking more along the lines of like, okay, maybe we fleece the Yankees on this one. Interesting to see that you kind of see as, as a positive that he uh, offered defensive stability. Yeah. I mean, obviously he was hurt and uh, it's always hard to, judge whether a trade worked out or not 
when one of the, the parties is injured. So I think we'll, we'll see what happens this season. Um, you know, I think it's, we're going to need both guys to perform and look at what they do going forward to see whether it was worth it. Yeah. And I'm so maybe you can help me out with this because I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit like confused. Like I, I want you to give me if everyone's healthy, who is playing wh- like where at like various positions, like for the Yankees, like a starting lineup. Like basically, we, you know that tr- like Trevino's the catcher, right? And and Rizzo is is first base. Um, but like to me, and Donaldson's third base. I know, I know for you, you'd probably you wouldn't have him be your your ideal everyday third baseman. But realistically, that's what's going to happen. What's not clear to me is that there are. And, you know, Bader's hurt right now. There was some talk about Judge moving to left field, right? And now, I don't know if... The, maybe you could just clear this up for, for, for me, like... Because it just seems to me you have all these different guys. You still have Glaber there. You have LeMahieu. You have Volpe. You have Connor Falefa. And then you also have you have Hicks and Bader and Stan. I just... How do you see it? Like, what's your ideal positional lineup for the, the this team and who's gonna are people are guys gonna potentially be mad about not getting enough playing time with with the current mix right now it's it's insanity to think about and i don't know if i have a great answer um you know we saw judge play a lot of center field last year and he was i mean he was good he was serviceable um he's a great right fielder i love seeing him play a one hopper off the wall and just throw a strike to second base and get somebody. Uh, you know, I think he's hitting like 97 on the gun from right field. Um, I think he's more likely to get hurt if he plays a lot of center field regularly going forward, which obviously we don't want. I did see he was in the lineup uh, last week playing left field for the first time in his life or in his pro career anyway. Um, in During the off season, I was convinced that the right move was to make LeMayhew, the everyday third baseman. And I think, you know, he's got great hands. I would like to see him in the lineup all the time, but then I don't know what you do with Josh Donaldson. So like you said, he's probably stuck there, which displaces LeMayhew. Should he be an everyday second baseman? Um, You know, he's probably doesn't have the range or the speed of some of the other options that they have up the middle. And, um, you know, it's a tough question, and you have IKF, you have the young guys, right? The young guys are all natural shortstops. Volpe, Peraza, Cabrera are all natural primary shortstops, and that's one of the difficult things. Somebody's got to move. You can't have four guys playing shortstop. And so, uh, you know, and things would be different if they had gone out this offseason and landed a real left fielder. Um, I, I really kind of thought maybe like a Christian Yelich reclamation project would play well at Yankee stadium. You know, he's a solid left fielder and he bats left-handed. So the short porch there and everything, you might've seen like a resurgent Yelich. And then you'd be like, okay, that's our guy that we're going to roll with in left field every day, which is not a feeling that Aaron Hicks inspires in me. You know what I mean? Yeah. Not not with the glove, not with the bat. And he's another guy I think is probably impossible to trade. So, you know, yeah. I, I, I'm i beside myself. I don't know if I can even give you an ideal starting lineup. <laughs> it's it's just a disaster. 
Well, it's it's funny because like sometimes when you have too many guys, you think it's a good problem to have, and a lot and guys get hurt, and that's and think that's how things end up sort of working out. It seems to me like the inability of the Yankees to offload one or both of the Hicks or Donaldson contracts is kind of why this situation exists. And I don't blame Brian Cashman for, because those guys are negative. Those guys have negative value contracts at this point. So in order to trade those guys, you're going to have to pay the salary anyway, or you're going to have to attach a, probably a pretty good player to, to move those guys out. And there weren't a lot of those kinds of trades happening this off season anyway. So I noticed um, that there didn't yeah. seem to be, that didn't seem to be the thrust of a lot of trades. I, I sort of expected that with the glut of good middle infielders, you might have seen Glaber or, you know, one of the other guys get shipped off somewhere because middle infield coverage is not going to be an issue. Got like four or five guys that can play middle infield. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I, I wanted to, I think Brandon was kind of getting into the, the starting rotation questions, which I think are, are, in my view are pretty significant for this Yankees team. Um, I think that the, obviously the thing that you, that the Yankees have that's huge is you have, you have your ACE, you have the guy that you're going to hand the ball to every fifth day who you, who is durable and is going to take the ball. And that takes pressure off the rest of the pitching staff. And as Red Sox fans, we know what that's like from when Chris Sale was great. And when, when Pedro was here and when Kurt Schilling was here and, and back in the Clemens days and how that lengthens the rotation in general. But beyond him, to me, everybody else is kind of an, is kind of an injury red flag. Um, and we've already seen it with two guys that have, that have gotten hurt, including the guy that they just gave $162 million to, who has an extensive injury history to begin with. Um, you just, yeah. I, and, you know, Cortez is not, a, it's not like a serious injury. It sounds like he could possibly not miss any ro- time in the rotation. Um but you know, significant injuries for Rodon and, and Montas, and we all we know Severino's injury history too. So, just can you give us your sort of Im- impressions of what the rotation is going to be like beyond beyond Cole this year? Well, you know, it's it's funny that um, you bring up what an asset it is to have an ace like Cole because when the Yankees first signed him, I wasn't a huge Cole fan. Like I. Obviously, he's got, you know, Cy Young's. He gets a lot of strikeouts, um, but gives up a lot of homers. And um, I, I remember him, like, crying about the spider tack and everything. He's like, it's so hard to throw the baseball and it's not sticky. It's like, we just paid this guy $324 million. Dollars, and, like, that's not what you want to hear out of the guy. But to his credit. We loved it. <laughs> yeah, we could, yeah. We get into we get into the whole like di- dichotomy of like Cole and and how the fan bases feel about him, but yeah, yeah. Continue. I mean, it was embarrassing, and so you got a guy who cries about spider tack and leads the majors in home runs allowed. I was like, that's the ace. That's what you spend all this money on. But to his credit, he shows up. He doesn't want to come out of the game. He's a competitor. And, you know, he answers the call and he strikes guys out and we've seen him have really, really dominant outings. And you're right. He's the ace, period. End of story. Um, You know, I don't think. um, Hang on. I got to plug my computer in here. 
Um, I think the Montas deal was, you know, kind of a joke. He was, he's not been an asset and then you really can't be an asset when you're, uh, you know, on the IL. I think Cortez, if, if the injury is not serious and he's, if he pitches like he pitched last year, that's tremendous. I mean, he, there were times he was clearly the best pitcher on the Yankees clearly. Mm. And I mean, he's just, he's, he seems like a cool guy to have on the team, you know? Um, but yeah, uh, Rodon starting the season on the injured list, right? Yeah. With like the forearm or something. Yeah. So that's, that's always a bummer. You, you sign a major deal. It was his job to be the bolster behind Cole. Because then if you've got two solid guys, talk about lengthening the rotation, right? If you have guys that you know are going to give you a chance to win the first two games of a big series, think about what a tremendous advantage that is. Having two guys versus one guy, if you're talking postseason, right, of a best of five or whatever, if you have two aces to start the series, you're great. I mean, think back to the, the Braves of the 90s, right? That's what I was just thinking about. They had, yep. they had, they had three, maybe even four guys. Some, some, yeah, some yeah. right. You, you had, I mean, three Hall of Famers in a row starting games one, two, and three of a series. You're done sometimes. I, I'm, to this day, I'm shocked that they didn't you know, hoist more hardware at the end of the season with the teams that they had the it's maybe the best like modern pitching rotation that we've ever seen. It doesn't always translate into wins, but it shows you what an uphill battle it is to face a team that has two or three aces instead of just the one guy. And then you're scrambling. So yeah, I do wish that, you know, these guys were able to pitch to their potential. If you have a healthy Cole, Rodon, Cortez, and then the guys behind Cortez throw hard, right? If you have like uh, Severino or like Herman or some of these guys that just sling fire, it could be a scary rotation. It's just not going to be scary if guys are hurt. Yeah, and and so they have some. The Yankees clearly do have some rotation depth. You mentioned. Uh, German and also I think Clark Schmidt would probably go into the rotation, right? What? Yeah. What do you? What's your? How do you feel about? And who knows what the time frame is? But like, if you have to go the first couple months of the year, and you're relying on like German and Schmidt to take the ball every fifth day, how do you? How do you feel about that? So I think Schmidt was only a starter in the minors, right? I believe he was. I'm not positive, but that sounds right, though. And so it's a role that he's used to. And I, th- I think we've seen him, you know, pitch under pressure in the, in the postseason and everything. I think he's a guy who has what it takes to wear the pinstripes. And I could see him thriving in the rotation. And I always liked Herman. I thought, you know, he, he's crafty. His pitches have great movement. Um, yeah, I think, I mean, he spent time in the big league rotation with them before. So I think, you know, that would not be overly concerning. Okay. And then the area that I kind of felt like the Yankees 
probably should have if 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 I'm grading their offseason where I think that they probably should have tried to do more and you can tell me if I'm wrong on this or if you disagree with me is that I think that the Yankees bullpen is a little bit suspect um and I think that you have there's been a lot of flux obviously what happened last season the postseason the injuries like it, it finally caught up to them right I mean it just they they lost they won that series but they lost that game in cleveland because they just they ran out of guys basically um and i just think but other than tommy canely who i believe is is hurt right now right um i, I or uh somebody i thought else got hurt out there in the bullpen um other than canely there were no other significant bullpen moves you guys the the yankees um kind of just gave up on Lucas Lutke, which I thought was a, a really uh really very, interesting a really strange move um it, from my standpoint um how do you again get that question how do you feel about the Yankees bullpen right now I actually really liked Lucas Lutke too I yeah, thought it was, uh, it was weird you look at that guy and you go that's a baseball player that fellow's a baseball player and then of course some addition by subtraction with Chapman leaving um, man, I, I can't tell you how much he offended me throughout the season with the whole, like the tattoo injury. And then in the postseason just not showing up and like staying at home in Miami while his team's in the playoffs. Um, that that's not a team guy, right? He's, he's somebody that was getting paid 18, $19 million a year to throw the baseball in the seventh inning. Right, he he wasn't closer dominant Chapman anymore. He was just kind of a, a middle reliever making top dollar, and he couldn't be bothered to support his teammates. And I really think that's something that you can't you can't underestimate the importance of team chemistry. I know some front offices and analytics types minimize it because you can't quantify it, and they're only into things that you can quantify, but. I mean, that was just a disaster. And uh, Zach Britton, you know, his injury history is really just, um, you know, it's unfortunate because I remember when he was a super dominant closer for Baltimore and just seeing a guy, you know, southpaw, filthy movement. Um, he was dominant. And now it's like these guys go become shells of their former selves. Um, honestly, I, sh I should pay more attention to the bullpens, but one of my gripes with kind of the way uh, the game has evolved is that a lot of big league bullpens are just kind of a parade of guys that throw hard and know that they're not going to we're – never... we're not going to have another Mariano Rivera ever, right? We're not going to see a guy who closes games and gets 600 saves. Um, it's very much like a – Relievers are, are treated so fungibly now. They're replaceable, right? That you, you put the guy in in a high leverage situation. You tell him to throw with 100% effort until you have to replace his elbow ligament and then you're on to the next guy. And so as, as the like bullpen culture just goes toward, okay, we're going to have, you know, seven guys that all throw 98 plus, um, I think we're going to see very like homogenized bullpens. The Yankees just don't have enough of those guys. 
And it's it's interesting because it seems like in the years past, the Yankees' bullpen was what really kept the nucleus of everything going. Uh, I, I I remember the past couple seasons, it's like, okay, the Yankees have a lead in the sixth. They're probably winning this game. And, and now it does seem to once you get to that inning, you know, what are you going to do? I guess Clay Holmes is going to be the closer this year, right? Clay Holmes is good. That's who slotted in. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That, that he slotted in to be the closer. I think so. so. Uh, and then, but before you get to that ninth inning, it's like there, there are some question marks up and down. And, you know, uh, Jake mentioned there are some injuries in the bullpen as well. So that, that could hurt the team long-term. And remember, um, it's, it's a lot different when you have starters going seven or eight innings. Yeah. And all, if they're, you know, if they're how going many, four, four or five, then, you know, you've got to, you got to bridge that gap somehow. That's the thing. How many games do we watch? It's Boomer Wells for eight innings, Mariano for the ninth. Yep. And and the Yankees win. Right now you got guys, Cole, the the $36 million a year ace has games. He's like four and two thirds, right? Oh, like, don't I know. I had him on fantasy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. it's just pitching usage, both starters and bullpens, has transformed the way – front offices have to think about constructing their pitching staffs it used to be that like the number four and five starters would still go five six innings now you got openers and bullpen games and and to me those are just a lot of opportunities to lose yeah i i think so this so the discussion about like pitching usage we could do like you know we could do a series of podcasts about it I think that the issue, it goes for, for guys that are coming up in the game right now, it's an issue that starts in like Little League. You know, it starts like from the, from the, it's a systemic issue in terms of how much these pitcher, how much uh, pitchers are used, how guys are specialized, how if they have a talent for pitching, it's all they're going to do all year and they're just going to throw all year. And so these kids, I think, get drafted out of high school, especially if they go to college. My God, these kids throw these kids in college are throwing once a week, and they're and these coaches in the SEC and the ACC are abusing these kids and throwing them 150 pitches every time out. Well, they they get a week off; they're going to be fine. Well, that's not how human. It's not how the human body works. So there's a there's a, a systemic issue around pitching that is causing the issues that we see in the big leagues today, where. A, a, where a starting pitcher is is almost never going more than than six innings, and you have basically one guy in all of MLB in Sandy Alcantara who I think has that attitude of I'm going to go nine innings every time I get the ball. We have I, one guy when we were I growing up, and I don't mean everybody. to sound like the old, I don't mean to sound like the old guy on the couch, but it's like the you know it used to be that there was every team had a guy like that. And now there's one guy in all of MLB, and it's right. too bad. Back in my day, Kurt Schilling <laughs> threw 15 complete games a year by himself. Yeah, you know, and you mentioned Sandy Alcantara; he's awesome. I think you know everybody should like that guy. He threw more complete games by himself than any other team in MLB did. Yeah, it's no, crazy. He's, he's he is a horse. That guy is amazing. He threw Love six this. complete games in 2022. No other team threw six complete games. Yeah, that's insane, insane stat. Um, 
Before we move on to the Mets, I do want to ask you real quick, uh, what is your projection for the New York Yankees this year? I think they're going to be in the World Series. Okay. So 100, 100 win team 100 or wins. less? 100, 100 wins. 100 wins make it to the World Series. Before we do move on to the Mets, though, there is there is one thing with the Yankees that we have not talked about that we would be remiss if we don't talk about, and that is the manager, who has a, mm. who has a nickname in Boston. Uh, but I just I want to get your take on Aaron Boone, just because I I think that he is an incredibly polarizing figure. And you're saying the Yankees, you you project that they'll be a hundred win team, get to the World Series, but I think there's a lot of a lot of Yankees fans that feel like the manager is an impediment to that. What's your take on Aaron Boone? I'm one of the people that complains about Boone on Twitter. <laughs> and uh, the thing is, though, since he's taken over as manager, his winning percentage is like 603. So it's easy to nitpick all the decisions and the stupid pitching changes and the ridiculous lineups and Donaldson hitting five and Hicks on opening day. Like, give me a break. And yet, when you look back at just the overall body of work, the team is winning. The team wins a lot of games. They've dealt with just like absurd slumps and ridiculous injuries. And still you look back at like how many seasons have judge and Stanton and like starting pitchers missed. If you add it all up, right. It's like so many man hours are missing from the team you thought you had at the beginning of the year. And they still are like a lock for the postseason, And so I complain about Boone a lot. I think maybe he's an impediment. Um, I think he's very much like a front office. Yes, man. And, you know, that's real. One of the big differences between the manager of the Yankees and the manager of the Mets is Boone is like a front office. Yes, man. And Buck Showalter is like a real baseball guy who will use his instinct use his gut and he's got his squad of underdog dudes that he would lead into battle. And those Mets players would run through a brick wall for Buck Showalter. And I don't think he's polarizing at all. So again, that's what, like the two teams have such different feels, right? That's why there's things to like about both of them. I, for the past few years, I've kind of felt like this is a, a make it or break it season for Aaron Boone, like world series or bust, but, for some some way he keeps coming back and it's probably because he is that yes man. Um, speaking of the the New York Mets, I, I guess we won't really get to spend too much time on them, but I do want to touch on some of the the notable things in this offseason. Uh, the Carlos Correa deal, you know, the the Mets did go out and they made a lot of moves in free agent. Steve Cohen is spending money like he's printing it in in some underground basement there at City Field. But uh, the contract with Carlos Correa, walk us through your feelings of all of that because that was that was a whirlwind. That was just insanity. The fact that, you know, between all the deals that fell through, he really signed like a billion dollars worth of contracts this season. Yep. You know, and uh, – I remember at the time thinking this could only happen to the Mets and yet it didn't only happen to the Mets. It happened to uh, San Francisco. To the too, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, when it looked like the Mets 
deal was going to work out. I mean, and then it looked like it wasn't, then it looked like it was again. It went back and forth a lot. And obviously the team looks different with and without Carlos Correa. The fact that the left side of the infield could have been Correa and Lindor, who like their buddies and he was willing to, you know, move off the shortstop for Lindor. I thought that was really like a, a gesture that kind of adds to that, that team chemistry. Like we're here to pull in the same direction and win. Um, obviously like he's a talented guy. He can hit, he can, he can play defense. He can do a lot of things. I wasn't a uh, Correa fan too much uh, before he went to the twins because I really don't like the Astros. Um, but you know, typical Yankee fan. Got it. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I, I've come around to, uh, you know, just recognizing his talent. He's a fantastic player. He would have been nice to be able to pencil in as the everyday third baseman. And yeah. then you'd have like one of the baddest infields in baseball and Buckshow Walter at the helm. Like that looked like a winning team. When, when uh, it looked like Correa was going to happen, I was like, this is it. Subway series you know, Mets in seven. And I, I, I would have been like a pig in shit, you know, like that would have been <laughs> so fun. Um, I would have gone to all seven games, but <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens. But, you know, when that fell through, it was just like, clearly there's enough red flags that if multiple teams bailed on him, there has to be something we talked before about these long contracts, right? Guys with injury risks and everything for multiple teams to say, we can't do this guy for seven years or whatever. I feel like you have to sort of just rest assured, like maybe there's risk that he's going to break down and it's not worth sinking 300 and some million dollars into. Yeah. So uh, instead the New York Mets decided to sink $300 million scattered all around because Brandon Nimmo got eight years, 162 million. Edwin Diaz got five years, 102 million. Uh, some guy named Justin Verlander, who's a former Cy Young and MVP, got $86 million for a couple of years. Uh, so you definitely have some some interesting characters. And then you also signed uh, Senga, which is somebody that a lot of Red Sox fans were very hopeful that we would end up with. And uh I do want to know, like, what are your thoughts about Kodai Senga, the five-year, $75 million contract? A lot of people saying that it might be a little bit much for a guy that hasn't proven himself in the in Major League Baseball, but he is a guy that has quality numbers coming from Japan. Yeah, it's one of those things where, like we talked about before, with, like, if there's a market for it and you have to compete for the guy's services, you're not just considering – like, is he worth $75 million? It's if we don't spend the $75 million, what if somebody else in our division does? And what if he's good? Um, yeah. And that's always the risk. Like some guys who come over from, uh, you know, other leagues thrive and are great. And then others are kind of disappointing or underperform. You just never know. There's some aspect of it's a gamble. I don't think, I don't think any other professional league in the world has anything approaching the quality of major league pitching in terms of like the velocity and the movement. And um, it's just other things might be the same. You're going to have guys who can hit everywhere. You're going to have guys who can field everywhere. 
but the pitching is probably the single biggest difference between MLB and other top pro baseball leagues. So, you know, you just got to see how he adjusts, but I think it's, it's more of like a market move. It's, it isn't, did we overpay it? Somebody would have paid it. And, you know, do you want to play with him or against him? And it remains to be seen. Yeah. And the Mets play against Dave Dombrowski in the same division, and he's not afraid to, to dish out contracts either. So, um, right. what do, what is your prediction for the Mets? You said that uh, if they sign Carlos Correa, it would be a Subway Series World Series. Do you not think that anymore? I'm I'm hopeful, but he's obviously like a premier free agent that isn't there now. Uh, I remember predicting on Twitter, I think, that both the, the Mets and the Yankees would win 100 games. I would love to see that happen. I'm a big fan of winning. Um. But, you know, I think pretty nice I think, when it happens. Yeah. I think Lindor can like he was solid. He led the team in a lot of categories last year, but I think he can still play better offensively. Um, you know, I wouldn't be surprised to see him have an MVP year because he does a lot of things. Well, he's a tremendous shortstop. He's a switch hitter. He hits for power. He runs well. And when you have a guy who has all the tools and who's in a good spot, you know, I think he likes playing in New York. He's, he's totally like a, you know, an easy fan favorite. Like what's not to like about Lindor. He's one of the, he's just one of those guys. He's a perfect Met personality. I feel like. And so I would love to see him thrive. I think, um, you know, I like Pete Alonzo a lot because he strikes me as the prototypical old school cleanup guy. You know, you pencil him in the four spot day in, day out. Maybe he'll hit 260, 270, but he'll drive in 130 runs because you got Nimmo and Lindor and these high OBP guys hitting in front of him. And so, you know, I I fight with people on Twitter all the time about the importance of RBIs and like whether, you know, a lot of people say, oh, it's really a team dependent stat. It's not a good measure of. Um, you know, how good a hitter is, it all comes down, it's a stat of opportunities. But the truth is, you even if you get the opportunities, I think, I think Alonzo had maybe more runners on base for his at-bats than anybody else in baseball. So yes, he got the opportunities, but you still have to follow through with it. And I'm of the opinion that some guys just thrive with runners on base. Some guys can hunt RBI. You know, if you have runners in scoring position, and less than two outs, a, a run producer, like a mid-order stick kind of guy, is looking to change the number on the scoreboard that at bat, whether it's with a sack fly, whether it's with a ground ball, whether it's using you know the opposite field. Guys look to put the ball in play and change the number that's up on the scoreboard. It's, it's not just, oh, well, like I'm a power bat with a high OBP. I'm going to draw my walk so we can have first and third instead of just a runner on third, you know, it's like some guys just have the mentality of we're going to change the score this at bat. And I think Alonzo does that really well. Yeah. yeah. I really like Alonzo and I, I, I love seeing every summer uh, the home run derbies because he always puts on a show. Uh, oh, yeah. Jake, do you, do you have any other questions? Um, no, not really. I mean, so I got to see Alonzo when I was out in Arizona cause he was on the team USA and yeah, he's a, He's 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 a he's fun to watch. He's like a he's just like a big 
like i don't know he's just seems like kind of a goofy guy like i just i i like him a lot he's great personality um the thing about the the rbi that you mentioned i agree with that um i think that on the red Sox last year this was a huge issue with jd martinez was that he um was historically the guy that would always be the one that would uh drive drive in his opportunities and last year he did not. It was like one of the worst percentages of his career and was part of why the team struggled so bad. But as far as the Mets go, I think the question that I would have for you is about how you kind of see everything meshing together because every, because there's, it seems like there's been, there's a lot of new guys that they've brought in. Um, there have been guys that have been there for a little, for a little while, for a while between Jeff McNeil and, and Alonzo and, um, and Brendan Nimmo, who obviously they brought back. Um, I think when you look at a team like the Braves, they have, it's that same group that's been together for so long. And the, the Phillies, it's similar. They had a great experience last year where they, all of those guys came together and they were sort of the underdogs and they went all the way to the world series. And the big addition that they made was they added Trey Turner, who is like best friends with Bryce Harper. So it feels like he's going to mesh in there pretty well. Is there, and again, it goes back to that thing. It was hard to quantify. How do you feel about like, do you think that Buck Showalter, like everybody, he's going to kind of get everybody in line going in the right direction? Or is it, is there a level of possible concern about how do you integrate and mesh all of these new guys in together? And how does it, how is it going to work? as for for a 162 game season and then hopefully a long playoff run after well first of all the i think the nl east is just a ridiculous division and i have so much respect for some of those other teams and some of those other managers um i'm a big brian snitker fan i think he's great i think the braves have a lot of talent i think you know obviously the phillies we saw in the in the postseason just they were tremendous um you know, they do things a little differently with a guy like Schwarber hitting lead off, but they've got Bryce Harper, they've got Trey Turner now, just these core guys, right? And I think the thing about the Mets is that you have really good anchors, really good core folks, right? Assuming that I know eventually like father time is undefeated, but Verlander and Scherzer back to back, if those guys are healthy and play like Verlander and Scherzer of old or even close to it that's a hell of a one-two for pitching and they're also just like they're such veteran guys they bring a lot of leadership they bring a lot of character people look up to that they look up to those guys and say like that's the way baseball is supposed to be played and then you know in the lineup I think I think Nimmo got a lot of money it was like I was kind of surprised and yet he's got value. He's got a great OBP. He's a very good defensive center fielder. Um, I just like the way he plays the game. I'm a big Jeff McNeil fan. He won the batting title. Um, he's got great bat handling skills. Oh, yeah. He can, he can put the bat on anything. Doesn't strike out that much. And you know, he's like, he's scrappy. He's, he's an old school kind of player. He's, uh, you know, high average, lower power, high contact, low strikeout. And then Alonzo like complements that, right? He's the high power, high whiff run producer. It's, it reminds me of a lineup from, you know, decades ago. They, those guys would play in any era. They're not manufactured to this three true outcomes kind of game. 
Um, or, you know, Mike Trout hits 40 home runs, drives in 80. Mike Trout last year had the fewest RBI ever in a 40 home run season in MLB history. And I think a lot of this has to do with Buckshire Walter constructing lineups by playing to the team's strengths. He knows who his guys are that are going to get on base. He knows his guys that can hit for power, and he knows his guys that can, um, you know, just put the ball in play. And he's not, he's not afraid. He's been around a long time. He's a very experienced manager. If he's going to put on a hit and run, if he's going to do something different or unorthodox, it's because it's informed by his tremendous experience in the game. And he's certainly a manager that I have a lot of respect for and a lot of confidence in. And he's got some great tools at his disposal. You know, when you can put names like McNeil, Lindor, Alonzo, Nimmo in your lineup day after day, you know, you're going to figure something out. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, that's all we really have for you. Where can, where can our viewers find you? Where can they follow you on Twitter and all that stuff? Yep. Just go follow me at not on Twitter. My, my homage to the legendary twins, third baseman, Gary Gaetti. I, uh, you know, he's one of those old school guys, a hard nosed competitor, just went out there, did it all, hit home runs, won gold gloves, won a world series, played every day. Um, you know, that's, that's the kind of player that I'm on Twitter to celebrate. I tweet out an underrated man every, uh, every morning at 8 a.m. I tweet out different underrated big leaguers, guys who are sort of, you know, lesser tier, maybe forgotten by the masses. But, um, you know, that's – I love the nostalgia factor. I, uh, I just love old school baseball. Happy to talk ball anytime. Follow me on Twitter. Yeah, that's awesome. And we appreciate you being on here with us tonight, talking uh, a little bit of Yankees, a little bit of Mets. Uh, we might have to get you back on whenever we have some games going on, a, a series in the Bronx or a series in, in uh, Flushing, Queens to discuss. That might be a, a good time to have you back and have a, another conversation about some some 2023 baseball. Um, we thank everybody for listening. Make sure you like and subscribe to the channel and we'll catch you guys next time. Peace.